Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 158. I'm John Jarman, and I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the knowledge that you are redeemed by God is the key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend Scott Mayer. It took me a about 15 years really to start seeing who Christ was and how it affects your life. And again, I, I you have in my opinion, you have to have a self-examination or self-awareness to start developing that relationship because you have to look inside yourself. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview John Jarman. I asked John about what brought him to write Broken and Redeemed. I also asked John about how his life went from one of drugs and disorder to one of mercy and grace. And John also shares with you how he struggled to really believe his worth and how this became clear over time. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this, and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity, not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in Productivity for Your Passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. John Jarman is a professional fitness coach and men's discipleship leader with a passion for seeing lives changed by Jesus Christ. A former football coach and Marine Corps veteran of Desert Storm, John's life was radically transformed from a self-destructive trajectory to one of life, wholeness, and a dynamic walk with Christ, a story that is told in the pages of Broken and Redeemed. John holds a master's degree in physical education from Ohio University and, as of this writing, is close to completing a master's degree in theology from Faith Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, where he resides. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you. Glad glad I'm here, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, you've got this new book coming out, Broken and Redeemed. We talked about that a little bit in the intro, but I wanted to dive into it a little bit. What really Mm -hmm. brought you to writing this book. One session that I was having with my counselor, Christine, she looks at me and she goes, you need to write a book. And I laughed at her because my story, it's not unique. There's other people that have been 
down the same path, other people that have probably worse paths. And I was like, no one's going to read a story about my life. And I left the session and I started talking to a couple friends and said, hey, my counselor told me I should write this book. And I shared it with them a little bit of the story. And they were like, yeah, John, you need to write a book. And not being a writer and growing up with dyslexia and being a PE teacher, a football <laughs> coach, it's, I was like, how am I going to write this? So I actually started looking for a ghostwriter. And I found a young lady, uh, Tiffany, who went to my church and she did a lot of the media for the church. And so she started helping me outline the book. And this was back in 2014. So that's when the book started. I worked on it for probably about a year and a half. And then it sat on the shelf until February of last year. And that in February, I was getting ready to take a vacation to Florida and go back to Georgia to see some of the football players I coached down there. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and through Hebrews 1036, which talks about doing the will of God and and persevering through that so that you can get what he promised. Then later that day, I was reading in AJ Swoboda's book, Messy, and AJ was talking about the will of God. And he said, and it was his first book. And in the book, he said, no one told me that if anybody would read the book or buy it, it, the spirit just told me I had to write it. So with those two things happening so close together, I went, okay, I need to finish my book. And that's what I did. I committed myself to about two hours a day of writing and I had the book done in about three. Weeks. Okay. So that's tell how, us, that's how it came. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, I, I obviously want folks to read the book as well, but tell yeah. us a little bit about the story that came to you in the book that, that you're sharing. I grew up in a very violent home. My dad was an alcoholic, very abusive. From I, I don't have a lot of memory from my childhood up until 12. And it. I grew up in a lot of violence And up until that 12th year. One day that year, my dad came home drunk. He was beating my mom. I got up, went into the kitchen, grabbed a knife out of the drawer, told him if he didn't stop, I would kill him. And he left. And mm-hmm. we didn't have that much of a relationship for a long time. And you know, that, that was tough because now I'm... My mom's a single mom. We have three brothers and my my two older brothers ended up dropping out of school. All of us got involved in drug use and stuff like that. It was the 80s back then. And so all of that kind of created, I put on an armor. I wouldn't let people in because I was ashamed of it and the guilt. And from that moment on, I did whatever I wanted to do to survive. And I developed this really controlling attitude and Hence the subtitle of the book, Finding Freedom Through Complete Surrender, because even in my walk, as I started to grow in faith, I didn't give up control. And I would, I wanted it on my time. People say it's God's timing. And I was like, no, I want John's timing. <laughs> and that that's what developed in me. And, took, and that's why I went into counseling, because I started to see, as I started to grow in faith, I started to see the self-destruction behavior that I had in my past and it started to happen again. And so I went and looked for a counselor and I found Christina and, you know, worked with her for 10 years, found a spiritual mentor, Scotty Kessler. And they, the, with the work between the two of them led me to this book. Oh. So thinking about that and your faith journey, part of it, talk a little bit about your faith journey from childhood. Cause you mentioned you had started growing in faith, but yet you were still right. keeping control and being a little bit of, Control freak, I guess that's the right word. No, it's, that's, <laughs> which, you could say it. It's, which, by the way, yeah, been there, done that, bought that T-shirt. And yeah, I think most yeah. of us have. So talk a little bit right. about that faith journey. My, I, not having any exposure to, to church or faith growing up, 
I really didn't even know. The only thing I knew of Christ was when I visited my mom Adele in Arkansas, my dad's mom. And when I would see her, she would always tell me, Johnny, God's got something special planned for you. Mm. And I laughed at her. And But now she's smiling down in heaven because she knew this book was coming. But I really didn't start even to explore Christianity or faith until I was in the Marine Corps. And it was really in boot camp, my first Sunday in boot camp, they said, hey, you can go to church and have an hour rest of the drill instructors. So I would go to church every Sunday just to get away from the drill instructors. And that kind of planted the seed. And I started seeing it, how it took from, that was 90 or 87. And it took me about 15 years really to start seeing who Christ was and how it affects your life. And again, I, you have, in my opinion, you have to have a self-examination or self-awareness to start developing that relationship because you have to look inside yourself and see where, what you need to get rid of in order to have that faith walk, that truly faith walk. And that's what I had been working on from 2016 till now and, and continuing to do that. As I started to grow and I was going through this really bad, I owned two fitness centers and they were struggling super bad in 2016. A young lady I was dating, we had a true Christian relationship. I mean, we dated four years, never slept together. It was all biblical. She was a great Christian lady. And then my brother's wife was in the hospital dying and all of this just crumbled and blew up. And so now I'm with that. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I fell to my knees in November of 2016 and I surrendered. That was the day I completely gave up control. And I said, I can't do this. And from that day forward, I started doing prayer and reading every day, started getting deeper and deeper faith. And I went to my mentor and I said, I need to do something to get behind the word. So I enrolled in seminary school and I'm eight hours shy of a master's of theology and I'll I'll finish it hopefully next year or later this year, once this book gets going. But that was the key that, that opened my eyes to a whole different aspect of the word and my faith and it just continued to deepen from so you also you just threw that aside in of becoming a marine as well <laughs> how did that play <laughs> out this journey so let's go back to high school and where or what was it five years after high school or four years after high school i was in a party on on in 1986 and the drugs and all that stuff and i was looking around the room and i was like there's got to be more to life than this and I got up and I walked out. And two days later, I walked into a Marine recruiting office and I said, oh, I need to get out of here. And the recruiter looked at me and said, did you commit a crime? And I said, <laughs> no. I said, yes, but I haven't been caught. And he, we did all the paperwork and everything. And I was in San Diego on March 3rd. And that was what saved my life. Because if I'd have stayed where I was, I'd probably be dead or in jail. That's how, that's where I was headed. And so, you know, looking back on it now with the faith that I have, that was the spirit. And because it just moved me to get up and get out of the room. And so I went into the Marines, then went to school, got my master's in physical education, taught PE and did some coaching in college and high school for 17 years. And that's where my faith started to grow a little bit more when I was in school because I got involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes when I was down in Georgia. And that's but I was still I wasn't walking and truly in the light. I was still walking. It's kind of like what Paul said in Romans. I want to do what's right, but I can't um, because of the sin in me. And that's where my life was for a long time. So, When you think about all of that, how has that faith walk been 
in in terms of where you are today, do you see this as you've arrived or this is just the beginning or what do you, how do you see where you are today? I wouldn't say arrive. I don't think anybody arrives. Our sanctification is a growing process and it's only complete when we go home to our father, but I'm not where I was. And I see things differently because I see through the, through the eyes of Christ and it's, it's still a growing process and you still have to have that continued relationship. And that's the part of it is I've learned that it's a relationship and it's a communication and it's a dialogue between people. I taught, I I do discipleship too, because Scotty was a, Scotty discipled me and he's really big into discipleship. And so when I disciple my kids, we talk about that you have to have a communication when you pray. It's not just you talking. It's you got to be able to sit and listen for the voice of God. And that's what I've developed because it's a, without a doubt, it's a true relationship. So. So when you think about the book, what do you think is your favorite story or your favorite part from the book? I have to say this. The last chapter is my favorite chapter. And here's why. Um, your listeners and you are probably familiar with Mercy Me. Uh, and they, in, in 2014, 2015, they released an album and it had the song Dear Younger Me on it. And when it came out, I listened to it and it just spoke to me. And I just kept listening to it and letting the words sink. And I was like, I want to use this in my book and I want to call my last chapter Dear Younger Me. But I had to get, I wanted to find a way to get a hold of Bart and find out what his inspiration was. So they were coming to a city right here in, in Washington and I bought a VIP pass and the young lady that I was dating, Leah, it was near her birthday. We got to go one of the opening acts saying happy birthday to her and then we got to go backstage. And so I was telling them what I wanted to do. And he said, Mercy Me's manager right there. And so he told Mercy Me's manager what I was doing. So he said, let me, he said, Bart will be here in about 10 minutes. Let me talk to him. And he came over. He said, Bart would love to meet you. So we sat probably 30 minutes backstage talking about the songs. And it's funny because I said, what was the inspiration? And Bart said, my counselor told me to write a song to my son (laughs) as if it was, if as I was writing to Dear Younger Me. And I said, well, that's funny, Bart. My counselor told me to write a book and I want to use your song in my book. And he said, John, you have my permission. He goes, I just have one condition. I want a copy of the book when it's done. And next month I'll be sending him a copy of the book. So that's my favorite story of the book because it's just you to see God work in that and make that happen. That's pretty awesome. And then my second part would be chapter 14. It's it, it was added with the work of my editor because she felt we needed a close of the book from 13 to Dear Younger Me. So she did an interview with me and it turned out to be a super great chapter. It's about vulnerability. It's about the complete surrender. And it just, it speaks volumes to finding that freedom. And so those two chapters are my favorite. But that leads us to the next most obvious question. Mm-hmm. What's the least favorite part of it? And I thought about this when you sent me this question, Scott, is, is I don't know if I have a least favorite part of the book. I have a hardest part of the book to write. Okay. And that was writing about all of the transgressions in my past and communicating some of that without opening the wounds of the people that involved. Because that's that was the hardest part of writing the book, because I didn't want to when I sat down to write the book, I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to open reopen the wounds of people that I've hurt with those transgressions and bad decisions. And so that was the hardest part of the book. And it even came to a point where my editor goes, we're talking about my ex-wife and she goes, John, we need more information. I said, I don't want to put any more information. So that, that was the tough part. 
So that that's the hardest part. I don't, it's not a bad part because it needs to be told, but that was the hardest part. Figuring out a way to share that without yeah. bringing yeah. more damage to. Yeah. Without damage. hurting anybody anymore. Yeah. 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 So before I, I ask a few questions that I like to ask everybody, let me open it up to you. Is there mm-hmm. anything else you'd like to share with the listener about the message of the book? I think the, the message of my book is just, is you have to have a self-awareness and develop a self-examination in order to truly find freedom. And so if you're, if you're a victim of abuse, seek help. You're not alone. There's plenty. You're not the first one that's gone through what you're going through and you need help, whether it's a professional counselor, whether it's a spiritual counselor or whatever. And then to the men in your audience, be vulnerable. And that's one of the things I grew up in. It took me 56 years to learn how to be vulnerable. I wish I would have done it. I shared my book with some of my high school friends. Matter of fact, my high school girlfriend, I shared the book with because she's on my launch team. And she read the story and she called me and she goes, John, I had no idea Mm because I never let anybody in. And I think that's, that was, that's the message is we, as men, we're taught to be tough. I mean, I'm a football coach. I'm a Marine. I'm not supposed to be vulnerable. I'm supposed to be tough, (laughs) hardcore. But (laughs) yeah, exactly. But the vulnerability is what we need. And, 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 I'll go to that chapter 14 in how to surrender. And, you know, what I did through to create that self-awareness is just reading books by AJ Swoboda, AW Tozer, those people, and then getting to know God through reading and prayer and then the counseling. And I'll quote Tozer right here. He said, the Holy Spirit will never find a man or a woman who refuses to give up or give over to him all of the control in their entire life. And that's a power right mm-hmm. there. And Tozer's awesome. I love his I love his work. So. The funny thing is, I, I see people with the bumper sticker that says "Jesus is my co-pilot," and it's like, wait, mm. wait, you're doing something wrong. Exactly, <laughs> should, be, he the should pilot. be the pilot. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and yeah, you know, I know I think, what they mean, but still. Right. And I think that's hard for some people because the churches nowadays. I always I, I go to church. I was going to church and. They do the altar calls, but what do we do with those people when they raise their hand and commit their life? There's got to be a follow-up. There's got to be discipleship to help those people grow because I didn't have that when I first became a Christian. And I I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to read. It all came when I met Scotty and his Mm -hmm. discipleship. So, Yeah, absolutely. So one of the questions I like to ask everybody is, my brand is Inspired Stewardship, and I run things Mm -hmm. a lot through that lens of stewardship. That's an impactful thing to me. And yet I've discovered over the years that that's one of those words that means different things to different people. So with that in mind, what does the word stewardship mean to you and what has its impact been on your life? To me, Scott, that stewardship means that using God's gift to that, that he's given you to grow the kingdom flat out. That's what I think of it. And whatever he brings into your life, you need to use in a manner to honor him. And I look at Matthew 25 in the par- parable of the bags of gold. And, that, and I think that's what he was trying to teach us there because that he gave the gold and then they were supposed to go do something with it and make it grow. And that to me is the definition of stewardship is whatever God's given you, we've got to, you got to figure out how to use it. And the set and how has it affected my life? We have this book now, <laughs> but it see, it helped me see, my daily life differently. And so when I get up, I, I'm up at three 30 every morning in a prayer and Bible reading. And that allows me to have the energy 
and the knowledge. So when I'm out and I'm looking for how I can impact that kingdom every day in my workplace and in people I encounter with, and I'm not saying that you meet somebody and you start beating the gospel onto their head, but if they open up the door and you can speak the gospel, then that's when you jump on it. And that's how it's impacted my life. I'll share, if I can, I'll share a quick story. Um, I was discipling my brother after his wife died and uh, I was in seminary school and we were studying the Old Testament and we started reading through the Old Testament together and I came across Exodus 20, 20, which Moses tells the Israelites, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be in you to keep you from sinning. And they, it's Exodus 20, 20. And it spoke to me and I went back to it later and I started looking at that and I was like, when you go to a doctor and they examine your eyes, 2020 is clear vision. Mm. That's the first Bible verse with the address 2020. And I started going and I said, what else is there with that address? There's 17 Bible verses with that address. 10 of them have specific instructions how we're to behave and act as Christians. Exodus 2020 is now tattooed on my right forearm. And so it's my calling card. When I shake people's hands, they can see it. And they always ask, what is that? And then I can, it opens the door to share the gospel. And I didn't put it, I didn't initially put it on my arm because of that reason, but it's turned out to be a great way to, to impact the kingdom. I put it on my arm because it's clear vision and we got to know that he's going to come to test us so that we have that reverent fear for him and keeps us faithful and hopefully keeps us sinning less because mm-hmm. we're not sinless. We can just sin less. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is my favorite question that okay. I ask everyone. If I invented this magic machine and I could pluck you out of the seat where you are today and transport you into the future 100 to 150 years, maybe, and magically you were able to look back on your whole life and see all the impacts and the ripples and the connections that you've left behind, what impact do you hope you've left behind on the world? First, I'd have to talk to my football players and hope that I had some impact on them, even though some of them were involved in the mistakes and the transgressions that I made. Hopefully the solid life lessons that they learned while I coached them, I hope that helped them grow. And I've seen evidence of it a little bit, but that's where I'd start it. And then just any people I've had in contact with that have leaned on me, I hope that I've influenced their life. Obviously, I would hope that broken and redeemed. When I look back and I see this book, I I want it to have helped somebody overcome trauma, abuse, addiction. If they're not a Christian, that my goal is if somebody's not a Christian and they read this book, they come to Christ. If, and if one person does that, then the, then it was worth it. And, And I told that to a publisher one time before I got picked up by Morgan James, because that's really the impact that I want to have. And someone like you, who's a, who has faith, you know, did this, when you read the book, did it deepen your faith? Did it touch you in a way that goes, oh, I might need to try this. And so that's the impact I would love to see. So what's coming next for you as you continue on this journey? And now that the book's getting launched this week and more is coming out, what's coming next? That's a great question. When I read that, I was like, the only answer I could come up with, Scott, is is I'm ready to do wherever, whatever and wherever God takes me on this path. Because this has truly been a spirit-led path. When I started seminary, somebody said, are you going to be a pastor? And I said, no, I'm just doing it for knowledge. But God puts it in my life that I'm supposed to preach the gospel and spread the word, then I'm going to do it. And here I am. And so it's, I'm leaving it up to him. 
and I'm just going to let him go. And wherever he tells me to go, that's where I'm going to go. That's the best way I can answer that. That makes sense. <laughs> yep. So you can find out more about John and his book on Facebook or Twitter under Broken Redeemed or on Instagram as John underscore Broken Redeemed. Of course, you can find out more about the book and John and anything else he's got going on over at his website as well, brokenandredeemed.com. Of course, I'll have links to all of this over in the show notes. John, anything else you'd like to share with the listener? Just to have hope and faith. I have a friend who runs a homeless outreach shelter, and his message to the homeless is hope without judgment. And I think we we as a society, with all this craziness that we've been going through for the last two years, we need to get back to to hope and love and not judging people so much. And we need to, and I just feel like there's one of the greatest commissions to to love the neighbor as yourself. And I think we've lost that because we've become so isolated in the past few years and that we need to get back to that. So that's all. That's what I would leave your listeners with is let's love each other. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.